When Ian was seven, he wrote a very short list. Things a mother can do. Wash up. (laughs) Smoke. (laughs) Feed the pets. Go shopping. Thank you. I'm quite sure that's not an exhaustive list. That's Ian sharing some seven-year-old ideas about what mothers can do. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This, right now, is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing tonight? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Woodford Folk Festival, it is our very first episode. From Australia, we've got Yowie Hunters, Ambitions for Opera Stardom, Lessons on Being Cool from Movie Characters, and much, much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. When Kate was 14, she kept a private diary. And at our Woodford show, she shared a number of entries about friends, romance, and music. Please welcome Kate to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage. A quick heads up, Kate uses some cuss words in her diary, which we do not bleep. She also acknowledges the existence of sex. Private. Get out, Dad, Nola, Paul, David, Mum, or anyone else. 24th of September, 1995. Today I'm going out with Mark, but I don't want to because all of a sudden my face has exploded in clumps of big, conspicuous red pimples. I look disgusting. Even makeup can't help me now. I hate my skin. It pisses me off majorly. Mark will take one look at my face and throw up. Oh, shit. I look horrible and I feel horrible. Hang on. Gotta go to the loo. Back in a sec. (laughs) Right. I'm relieved. Video Hits is playing now. I told David, my brother, to turn it up, so he changes channel. Typical, stupid little brat. I just got up and bashed him up. (laughs) Video Hits is back on. (laughs) Lay Down by Max Sharam. Pretty groovy song. 22nd of October. My best friend Carrie was allowed to read my diary and she wrote her own entry in here. Hi, this is Carrie... Kate is still as big a dickhead as she was about four years ago. Kate is a horny bitch with little pimples as boobs, if you could call them that. Oh, yeah, she masturbates and all that. I love Chris O'Donnell. 21st of January. I need some ash. Just in case, when I read back laughingly at this in around 10 years' time, I will explain what ash is, seeing as I will probably have forgotten, God forbid. (laughs) Ash is my favourite word. It is the noun form of the verb kiss. You get ash off a guy. Me and Sarah have expanded on the word too. Ashable means an acceptable kisser, e.g. he's really ashable. Ash Market, a place where you go for the sole purpose of getting ash, e.g. a dance, the Botanical Gardens, movies. <laughs> ash Level, a measure of the amount of ash you have had recently, e.g. my ash level is so low, around 50%, I haven't had ash for three months. 
The day after I see Mark, I'm usually around 95%. If you get over 100%, that means you have to go the next step. Mind you, we made all that up. 28th of January. Today I saw Mark and it went really well. I felt his dick like under the undies. And it felt weird. I don't think he's circumcised because it was all hard and big and thick except for the top bit, which was kind of loose, you know? (laughs) Plus, I have my rags and he tried to unbutton my pants, so I had to say, I have my period. Surprise, surprise, I wasn't very cut when he goes, oh, gross, then started getting with me again. (laughs) Did I ever mention that vanilla essence, or VE as we call it, can get you pissed? I'll have to remember that for when I have kids to make sure they don't sneak any out of the pantry or whatever. (laughs) But anyway, when I'm a parent, I'll be a lot more easygoing than my mum is. Her and dad are too strict. 17th of March. I hate that song, Achy Breaky Heart. (laughs) I'm going to fast forward. Hang on, I'm back. I love the Beatles. They are so cool. God, opera is fun. I would love to be an opera singer. My husband has to be a singer, I've decided. I would like to marry Paul McCartney, but he's too old. Plus, he's already married. At least my husband has to be eccentric. It's Dad's birthday tomorrow. I got him a book. Sandman's Book of Advice for the Unpopular. I wonder what he'll say when he gets it. 26th of April. Yesterday I dropped Mark. I don't want to get into all the reasons why. I just think he probably wasn't mature enough to handle me. Anyway, actually, now that I think of it, I didn't really drop him. I said, it's not working and I want to take a break. At this point, I had just read the first words of my massive speech when he interrupted. Okay, fine, you can have your break. I said, what? You can have two weeks, a break for two weeks. What do you mean? I said, He said, I'll ring you in two weeks, okay? Oh, you did mean a short-term break. You didn't mean a permanent one, did you? Uh, no. Okay, talk later. I thought everyone knew that if you said I want a break, it means it's over, but not Mark. (laughs) I suppose I partly did it because I want to go to the Terrace Dance single so I can have a good time. (laughs) 6th of July. To follow on with the Mark story, we ended up going out again, but I dropped him soon after because he's such a complete dickhead. (laughs) Fuck, I hate zits. I've just finished being in an opera, Hansel and Gretel. It was fun and I got paid heaps. Music will be my career, hopefully singing. My mother just then revealed to me that she knew about a certain incident a few months ago involving me generously giving David a cigarette. I'm going to kill the little shit for telling her. Fucking hell, he can't keep a secret. Well, no more smokes for him. (laughs) Fuck, I'm so hyped up about Dreamworld. Whenever I'm impatient... (laughs) Whenever I'm impatient, Mum tells me this crap story about these shitty kids who were given a marshmallow and told that if they just sat there and didn't eat it, in ten minutes they'd get another one. What a load of shit. This is the end, but in the pages of my diary after that, I found a properly musically notated song on the stave, um, the result of my music theory classes, and um, it went, 
rang you up just the other day got something on my mind that i wanted to say i said hey babe i need a break you said right kate would two weeks be okay <laughs> hey hey you're just playing games you know i meant forever babe <laughs> thank you <laughs> So how's that music thing working out for you? <laughs> One more time for Kate, everybody. I'm joking, of course. Kate's music career has been pretty darned impressive so far. She is an award-winning singer-songwriter with gold and platinum-selling albums, and she is set to represent Australia at the 2019 Eurovision contest. Not bad. One of my favorite things about visiting Australia was learning all sorts of new words. For instance, I learned the word yowie. Now, if you're not familiar, a yowie is a creature from Australian folklore. It's kind of like a Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And our next reader, Sax, shared a short story he wrote when he was 10 years old all about a panther hunting yowies. He only recently reread it, and he says, Now, this appears to imply an endorsement for genocide, presumably Yowie genocide, and isn't something he thinks he would write today. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Three Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Sax. So I was going through uh, a bit of a cryptozoology phase uh, back at that time. Um, a panther hunting for yowies. I am a panther born two years ago. I am an orphan because yowies attacked my parents and killed them. So now I will hunt yowies until there is not one left on earth. <laughs> Chapter one. I've just started hunting. I can hear a creature coming. I think it is a yowie. It is. All I can do is attack from behind. A sudden jump, and it is headless. Chapter two. The whole population is seven. So one down. Six to go. It is night and it is easier for hunting. I meet an orphan tiger, and he joins the hunt. A pair of yaois are hunting, and we are asleep. My friend, the tiger, awakens and wakes me up. We both hide and suddenly jump out and rip out their vital organs. <laughs> Chapter 3. Three down, four to go. We, we said. And then we went on. There was, there, were yaoi, there was a yaoi bathing in a pond. He saw us and got ready for a fight. We fought all day long, but we won. Three more, and we'll rest. Chapter four. 
We on and see two yaois mating. We both charge and rip them to pieces. So we were lucky the population didn't increase. Chapter 5. One more and we'll rest. But this one is the king, and he's stronger than both of us. But he hasn't seen us yet. Suddenly, he spots us, and he runs after us. We lead him into quicksand, and he gets buried. So now I will rest. The end. Everybody. For some teenagers, nothing is more important than being cool. And for some teenagers, nothing is more difficult than being cool. Humans care deeply about social status. We're social animals. We're wired that way. But it can be confusing when your ideas about social status, your model for what it looks like to be cool, comes from pop culture. When our next reader, Lucy, was 13, just after she started high school, she wrote a diary entry. And in this diary entry, she says she's trying to decide how she could recreate or reinvent herself into a cool person, doing so based on her favorite teen movie characters, Please welcome Lucy to the Grown Up Street Thinks They Wrote Us Kids stage. I have officially been a high school student for three months now, and it is official. Things are not going to plan. Here is a list of possible cool people who I have been considering becoming. Please note, all of these are actually cool, not just popular. Number one, Lainey in She's All That. Description, artistic, serious, glasses. Possibility, unlikely, because I got my first ever see this term and it was for art. And my hair is not brown, so I don't look serious. Options, dyeing my hair, taking up poetry. Number two, Missy in Bring It On. Description, sassy, mysterious, gymnast, loves her brother. Possibility, not very high, because somehow she is a truly cool person who becomes friends with popular people, and popular people don't usually like me. Options, go back to gymnastics, dye my hair, stop caring what people think. (laughs) Number three, Julia Stiles in Save the Last Dance. Description, beautiful dancer whose mum has died and she has to blend into a totally new environment. Possibility. Very unlikely. (laughs) 
Even though I am at a new school and had to make brand new friends here, my mum is alive. <laughs> and I am in the same town as I have been my whole life. I am also the worst dancer of all earth. Options, none really. These are all things outside my control. <laughs> Number four. Rizzo in Greece. <laughs> Description. Kind of mean, cool girl who is the most important girl in her group. Possibility. I wish... But probably not. I wish because Rizzo gets to make out with Kaniki, who is the greatest guy out of any of these movies. <laughs> but actually, she and I don't have much in common. And I probably won't have to worry that I'm pregnant because I've never had a real boyfriend except for those seven kisses I had with Sam. <laughs> Number five. Julia Stiles in 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> Description. Angry, loves books and guitar, fights with her sister. Possibility, likely. <laughs> My hair is also long and blonde. My favourite thing to do is reading. And I also really hate guys who are stupider than me. <laughs> I could try to argue with my teachers to get more detentions. <laughs> when I told my English class I was a feminist, the popular girls with Paul Frank pencil cases laughed at me. <laughs> so they're kind of like Bianca in the movie. <laughs> Options, taking up poetry, learning guitar, starting more fights. Thank you. Lucy, everybody. Very nicely done. Oh, boy, oh, boy. And I have to say, Lucy, we just met tonight. You seem pretty cool to me. One more time. Some teenage diaries are full of angst or emotion or drama, but our next reader, Oliver, he kept diaries that were full of pragmatism and analytical thinking. At our Woodford show, Oliver shared a short piece from the diary he kept at 18. It is an extremely rational exploration of the human search for love, and it's entitled Meaning Misfired Please welcome to the Grown Ups Three Things They Wrote As Kids stage, Oliver. Hi, everybody. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I was convinced I was the most intelligent person in the world. And I have, like, a thick stack of diaries filled with exactly the sort of thing that I'm about to read. If I die, Lucy, you are tasked with burning them. Uh, <clears throat> meaning misfired. The human drive to find meaning is probably one of the most powerful and least appreciated instincts which evolution has bestowed upon us. <laughs> what else is it that fuels the search for God, for the Holy Grail, for love? 
the idea that each person's life can be explained in terms of one or many purposes, that's purpose slash S, is not only supremely illogical, but arrogant as well. And yet it persists. Take, for example, the search for love. It is an oft-cited human conceit that each person on this earth has one true love. Uh, One person who came into being designed to fit them perfectly. Now, at first glance, this might seem to be an unlikely yet comforting superstition, which does not require any wide-scale rearrangement of established philosophical doctrine to operate. Let us, however, delve deeper. (laughs) Firstly, it is safe to say that such a quaint theory precludes the notion of a fluid psyche. Or else, how could any one person be expected to match another How can two people be said to be perfect for one another when it is known that both of their personalities are in a constant state of transition, a state which is dependent upon a hugely diverse array of variables? Even if two people were to meet at a time when their personalities were perfectly complementary, they would immediately begin to move away from this state. (laughs) The obvious reply to such an argument is, of course, that while the fine detail of two personalities may differ over time, the broad generalities tend not to, and these large-scale features could be the defining factor by which people are paired. However, (laughs) this argument, too, is clearly (laughs) ill-considered. Such large features of a person's demeanour, despite being more constant, are also determined by outside factors. In fact, as they are far often more permanent, it is far easier to identify their cause. This being so... Think of the huge lengths that the universe would have to go to to arrange the pairing of individuals. The odds against every single human being having a perfectly matched partner are comparable to the odds of every single person having an identical twin, born of different parents, living on the other side of the world. What I mean is, we know that each person's personality is determined not at random, but by outside factors. Whether or not these are hereditary or not is immaterial here. These outside factors, then, would have to conspire to go about creating a perfect partner for everyone. And when one considers the number of possible ways of not doing this, whether two people miss out or on a true love or etc., uh, the odds against this happening become astronomical. And this is just assuming that there are an, evil, there are an even number of people in the world... I should hate to be the six billion and first person in the world and thus miss out. Obviously, then, the very idea of a true love existing for anyone is absurd. This is not to say that no one will ever find anyone that they can love, truly and faithfully for their whole life, of course, just that it won't have been fated when it does happen. And yet the superstition persists. Endless reams of paper are wasted on the poetry of finding one's true love not to mention the thousands of hours of music. (laughs) This should be testament to the power of that survival mechanism which misfires so often, the search for meaning. Thank you. Sexy. I... (laughs) So good, Oliver.
Ilana was a kid, she and her best friend co-wrote a letter to two boys. I wrote this with my best friend Amy. Uh, We slept in the caravan out the back of my grandparents' house and we snuck out about 9.30 and we saw these two boys and they were riding their bicycles around in circles together and we freaked out because they were boys and didn't know what to do and Amy suggested that we write them a letter. Hi guys, it's the girls who have been following you. (laughs) Our names are Beth. We have aliases. Her name's Amy. 13, long brown hair. I'm pretty sure we were definitely not 13. Like, if we say we're 13, we definitely weren't. And Casey. Alana. Casey was the name of my first dog. Um, 12, short blonde hair. We are travelling from America. And that's why we are so weird. And we want you to talk to us, please. We think yous are gorgeous. Do you think we are? Well, we wrote a rap for yous in the tune of Eminem. It goes... Two neighbourhood guys go round in circles, round in circles, round in circles. Love, Beth and Casey. Remember, we are Americans, so we don't know how to spell many Australian words. Turn over. Also remember, Beth and Casey are due to be pop stars soon because we are songwriters and we sing. So bye, 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 bye. Love always, future pop stars, Beth and Casey. Read again and again and again, bye. Thank you. That is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Our show was recorded live at the Woodford Folk Festival in Woodford, Australia, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Special thanks to Chloe, Tashi, Courtney, and Relish at Woodfordia. We would not have made it to Australia without your support. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If you enjoyed this episode, tell somebody about Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. This show is and always has been a word of mouth kind of thing. That's how it spreads. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Reams of paper are wasted on the poetry of finding one's true love, not to mention the thousands of hours of music.